If we don't understand or learn to work with regenerative processes within ourselves and within the systems that we already exist in, then we're definitely not going to be rebuild a regenerative world. If we don't have an understanding of liberation within ourselves, then that's not something that we can enact or embody for or with other people. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me, and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Our Nature. This is the second episode in season four of the podcast, and I'm So thrilled to be back in your ears once again. If you're new here and just getting to know our nature, a very warm welcome to you. You can go back and binge 50 plus episodes of the podcast. And people often ask me, where do I begin? And I have a few suggested episodes to start with. If you head to ournaturepodcast.com and scroll down, I have three that you can begin with, but I would also just encourage you to... Start with the episode you feel most intuitively drawn to. Sometimes I do it by the title. Sometimes I do it by the subject matter. Sometimes I just kind of randomly scroll and just choose an episode. And if you love the podcast and you've been following along for a while now, please leave a review. This is a huge way that you can directly support the podcast and ensure that I'll be able to continue to dedicate resources to bringing you these conversations. And if you write a review, take a screenshot of that review and DM me on Instagram at ournaturealways with the screenshot, I will send you something special. Last Sunday, we had the first gathering of my new hiking club, Our Nature Hikes! We gathered at Griffith Park in Los Angeles and went on a two-mile trek that took us up into the hillsides with beautiful panoramic views of the entire city. We connected with nature, with each other, and I shared a journaling practice called Being Nature, which is one of my favorites. Each hike will always include a creative and reflective practice. You know how we do it at Our Nature. So if you're in the LA area and you want to come on a future hike with us, sign up for my newsletter, which is linked in the show notes so that you can be the first to know when we announce February's hike. I also have something cooking for those of you who are not local to LA. Next week in my newsletter, I'll be announcing a completely new offering that is for anyone and everyone who follows our nature. So it's for you. This is something I am super excited about, and I cannot wait to share it with all of you. Here's a hint. It involves nature, obviously, and magnetism. So if you want to receive this offer when it launches, be sure that you're subscribed to my newsletter because those on the email list will be the first to know. Okay, I'm going to keep this intro short this week because I'd like to get right into the episode. This week I'm speaking with my friend and fellow nature enthusiast, Mary Grace Allardyce. Mary Grace, or MG as I like to call her, uses astrology, divination, energetic healing, and oracular practices to help people access their own inherent wisdom and healing 
so they can navigate life's difficulties and connect to their purpose. She has a wonderful podcast called called Homebody, which I was just actually on, and I will link to that episode in the show notes if you'd like to listen. But essentially, Homebody offers spiritually and artfully-minded conversations that intersect astrology, creative practices, intuition, magic, healing, poetry, and a deep love for the natural world. In today's episode, MG and I chat about things I know so many of us, myself included, often wonder and think about purpose, rock bottoms, what it means to build regenerative and liberated lives, communities, economies, and worlds, important advice for anyone seeking a healer or astrologer, and why remembering and re-embodying humility and reverence for our earth is a lesson for our time. As you'll hear in this episode, Mary Grace has a special and miraculous gift for communicating complex topics in simple, articulate, and incredibly clear ways. It's truly a delight to speak with her, and I always walk away with so many nuggets of wisdom. So let's dive into the episode. Welcome to my conversation with Mary Grace Allardyce. Mary Grace, MG as sometimes <laughs> I like to call you. Welcome to our nature. I'm super happy to be talking to you on this Friday. I wanted to share a bit about how we connected because I think something that's really special about the work that you do and the work that I find myself doing is that through that, you get to meet all of these other individuals who have a similar mission and intention, and you feel like you're part of this growing, ever-growing community, and it helps you feel not so alone, especially during a pandemic when it's very easy to feel alone in many different arenas. And so we first met because we are both part of Holisticism, which is a virtual community that is about intuitive business and witchy things. And we came together to host a summer solstice panel about ecological collapse, which doesn't sound super positive. Um, but through that, through that connection, not only was it a great opportunity to connect with those who came to the panel, but I really felt I guess, honored and really appreciative of the fact that you and I got connected through that experience um, and have continued to connect. So I just want to give that um, backstory because I think it really speaks to what's possible when you do this work and when you sort of open yourself up to collaborate with others who are doing similar work. And, and now here we are. Yeah, I feel grateful for those things as well. I think a lot of the time when we we get so consumed with our cares as if they're only ours, like the things that we care about, the concerns that we have, and there's always so much medicine and connecting with others um, that I think was something that we realized in that process. So, Mary Grace, 
one of the first questions that I always ask on my podcast is, what was your relationship like to nature as a child? I loved being outside. I adored it. I grew up in the suburbs, but my mother's family, my grandmother, great-grandmother, they're all from the mountains of Tennessee and the Appalachians. And so we would go up there in the summer and this like in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, there's nothing there except very old barns and cows. And, but I loved going there every summer and we was on like the side of a mountain and there was a Creek and cows. And I was in love with every part of it. We were always outside and I spent the first part of my education. I was also homeschooled. So I was home a lot growing up and there was, so there was a lot more outdoor time, I think, than a lot of kids get who go to a more traditional education structure. And I, I was in love with trees. I was always talking to things because in fairy tale movies and things like the, you know, the heroine figure is always like talking to the birds and like singing to the trees. And so I was like, well, that's just what you do. So that was very much a part of how I connected is through my imagination and through story in a lot of ways. And I guess as a kid sort of anthropomorphizing these beings, but I did understand them as beings and I remember always we're making forts and collecting berries and trying to like live outside or like make it feel like I, it just felt like my domain. And it was very much connected to trees in a really big way. I remember one of my younger siblings got a doctor bag or doctor kit or something for Christmas one year. And I just took it very seriously to make it my job and no one else's to make sure I talked to every tree in the yard every day to make sure that like they were all doing good and like no one was bleeding and they didn't need a bandage. And like, I mean, I was like seven (laughs) or eight. I don't know. I was not an infant. Um, And that was just very much something I took very seriously. And I felt very connected to that job and that work, which as an adult that now, makes a lot of sense but and feeling very upset every time we drove by like a piece of land where there were all these trees that were being felled or logged to like build another neighborhood i just remember being in the back seat of the car being really young and feeling really sad about that and of course being told that that's just how things are it's not a big deal they just you know we got to build houses or whatever and something in me always feeling really indignant about that and really like personally hurt (laughs) by it. And so there's this mixture, I think, for me of always this awe and wonder and total belief in all of the sentience and connection and beauty. And that sort of like initial heartbreak was always threaded through there as well. Has that feeling continued? You know, did that continue while you were, you know, going through adolescence and college? Or was it something that you felt I call it forgot. And then you remembered as you started doing the work that you now do. Yeah, I would say that it was definitely something that I pulled. I didn't pull away from it, but I just got more concerned with other things. I was very invested in being a dancer. Like I wanted to grow up and be a dancer. And so I was dancing all the time, always as much as I possibly could. And then I said, I got to be a teenager and going to school and working and also dancing like the time we just get caught up with the things that we care about and relationships and what people see of us. And I was pretty myopic about all of those goals. Like that's all I wanted to do. And that's all that I cared about for a really long time. 
And the process of that not working out the way that I thought it was going to was a really heart-rending process. I still make art. I still dance. It just didn't work out the way that I was taught to want it or how I thought it would. There was a really long, arduous process of really coming back to, yeah, remembering myself and remembering those connections. And the more I step into what I feel like I'm here to do, which is really just who I'm here to be, the more I remember, the more I feel like that kid again, and that same sense of like awe and wonder and like inherent connection. So it was definitely not a linear, I've always been this way thing. It was definitely a a reversion and a return for sure. And I'm sure that will continue to be true. So in that you talked about, you said what I'm here to do, but who I'm here to be. And so who are you here to be? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I mean, I think for most of us, that's a really complex and multidimensional question. Um, I feel like I'm here to essentially love my body and love being human and love the planet that I'm on and soak up all of the experience and sensation and just the full spectrum emotion, embodied experience I possibly can while being here. And I don't think that's unique. I think to some degree, we're all here doing that. We all just have different ways that ways that we're doing it, different ways that we care about doing it. But I do feel a very strong identification with the role of caretaker or the role of gardener or the role of just being in relationship to the planet that we're on, especially in this particular moment in time as we are at a really crucial tipping point moment where I do think we're still in a window within which things could go either way on the planet. And I don't think that that's necessarily an accident. Um, I think it may not be my favorite news (laughs) to hear that, you know, whales are dying and they're eating mattresses and we're all toxifying everything. And we've killed what, like 50% of life in 50 years. Um, That's not like my favorite news, but it's also the way that I conceive of reality is that it's not an accident that I'm here at this time and that I have the love that I do. And I think that we're all essentially here to love what we love. And that's going to be different for all of us. But for me, the natural world is definitely a big part of what I love. And my experience of being human is something that I I love having a body. I love being here. I love food. I love smelling things. I love all of that sensual, beautiful things that we can only do while being human in a body right here, right now. And so how can I just like love the shit out of that as much as possible and really be in it? So to me, that's how those intertwine. Are you a Taurus? I'm a Taurus moon for sure. So everything I just said is easily. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's quite obvious. I have a very, very happy, glorious Taurus moon. It's amazing. On your website, you say that you use astrology, divination, energetic healing, and oracular practices. Did I say that right? Oracular? Oracular. Oracular. To help you connect to your purpose. I know what astrology is. I sort of maybe know what divination is, but I'd like you to talk about it. Say more about divination, energetic healing, oracular practices. What does that look like in practice? For me, they're not always super separate. 
while all of these, like if we think of tarot as a method of divination, which it is, or runes, like there's so many ways, or even like bibliomancy or things like that. They're all ways that we like bring a question or a query to a methodology. And then we let the method mixed with the spontaneity of chaotic quote chance to sort of meet us in real time with what we consider an answer. And within that, there is always room for what the answer is. The same three cards for different questions for different people at different times are going to reveal themselves in different ways. I think it doesn't mean that they mean everything, but I think it does mean that the, the color comes out differently. So always, I think in the process between interpretation, the space between me and you, the space between the method and what you're asking, there's, there's, I think an intuitive oracular function or that's how I relate to it. When someone comes to me for an astrology reading, we make this astrology together. Like, yes, I'm interpreting and reading the chart, but there's a spectrum of things that this one placement could look like. And you get to help inform and fill out what that story looks like. Often when I'm like putting together someone's chart, I start to see the themes or the reiterations or the things like, wow, this is coming up like four times in different ways. Clearly this is a theme in this person's life. And the way that that sort of comes through me is I'm preparing notes like that is an oracular practice. That is like a knowing that is revealing itself through an intuitive means or an unseen means. Is that what oracular means? It's sort of like um, the oracle, right? Like it's just taking oracle and making it an adjective. It. Um, I definitely am not going to be like, I'm an oracle. I'm like, put that on my <laughs> website. I don't think that that is any sort of liability that I want at all ever. But it sort of positioning an in-between space, positioning myself in like a liminal space. I see myself, all of those things, I think a translator is something that we could easily put in between both of those things. Um, whether that is through doing energetic work, whether that is through listening um, to the ether for someone, or whether that is listening to the chart for someone or to the cards, you know, I think they could all easily fit into the realm of translation. Um, would be easier way to say that. Yeah, I just interviewed this Vedic astrologer, Blaine Watson. I don't know if you've heard of him. He basically said, you know, I asked him a lot about astrology and Vedic is a bit more predictive and fixed. And I asked him about if it's that way, when you look at the same person's chart over years, like, does it change? Like, how does that process work? And what's interesting is he said he becomes the person as he's doing the reading, which kind of maps to what you're saying, where like, because, you know, when we all share something, we most of the time project, like we project our experiences, we project our belief systems, we project our interpretations and our wounds. Like it's very hard to kind of remove yourself from that process. And so what it sounds like to me is what he sort of, he said, where it's like you through the dialogue with that person you are able to then remove yourself from the equation enough to really almost like hear through them what that translation that they're meant to hear. Is that an accurate description? Yeah, to like hear their life mm -hmm. through the chart. Yeah, and vice versa. It's like, yes, we can look a year into the future and be like, hey, here's some dates to look out for. It looks like something along these lines is going to happen in that time. 
And that could look like, you know, you get in a car accident in your neighborhood or it could look like your neighbor's house catches on fire. Those are very different things, right? But they could all come from the same signature. And I think when we're just simply listening to someone's chart, when they're, when people are coming to astrology, rarely are they trying to be like, so what about Mercury in the sixth conjuncto? They're really trying to be like, tell me about my life. Tell me about who I am or this challenging thing that I'm going through. Or why do I always struggle with relationships? Like, what is that dynamic? They're trying to get to something a little more essential and unspeakable Mm -hmm. often. Um, And astrology can be a beautiful language for that we can really get into those problems or get into those good things or get into the whole understanding of the life, not necessarily going through our mind, right? It's mapping us in a, in a more mysterious way. Like we don't know why those things correlate, but um, they do. (laughs) So like, I can't prove to you that that's happened and I'm not necessarily saying that the planets cause that, but they do correlate and they do seem to have done so for a long time. And if I kept sitting in front of people getting it super wrong, like I would stop doing it. <laughs> like I wouldn't be a super rewarding thing to do. And what you're speaking of about becoming the chart, I think there's two, that is a bit of the, the, I mean, a little bit of the sort of shape shifting quality or that like soft ego space of that can be um, an intuitive energetic practice where we move beyond projection and we, um, yeah, we shape shift for a bit to really get the information of that perspective. That's why I appreciate astrologers who are more directional with what they share. And other people might be like, well, I want specifics, but it's like, you know, you, you know you. Like, you can interpret that through your own lens, through your own intuition. And so I like when an astrologer says, like, an area just to, pay attention to or, you know, just like speaks in more of a way that's, yeah, directional rather than super specific. Because to me, that's like, that's where the magic of astrology comes from. It's not giving you the answers. It's giving you the questions maybe. Yeah. The framework for thinking about, and you know, it kind of depends on like, as someone who is sitting with someone looking for meaning, there also is the question of like, what is the best thing for the person in front of me? You know, just because I see something challenging in someone's chart doesn't necessarily, I mean, I bring it up, you know, it's being like, what's in service to this person. Right. And not in a non-ethical sense. Um, but I mean, you know, if someone, you know, if I'm looking at the chart, I'm like, wow, it looks like your dad was an asshole and maybe he married someone just like him. You know, that's not what I'm going to say, you know, but I might say something like, what are your relationships like? And then I let them tell me, right? Like, can I use astrology as a device for healing and support instead of just um, making someone feel boxed in, right? How can I let them unfold in real time? And so the practice works and it can get very specific. And when you're holding space for someone, you're also keeping in mind what is most in service to them. And a lot of times when people come to um, especially energetic work or astrology or things that we would consider esoteric, I think in mainstream culture, people are often, um, if that's not normally their go-to, they're coming because either they're really curious or they really hit a place where they're like, I, all the normal things aren't working. And that's a really sensitive place. So we want to be in service to them, or I want to be in service to them more than I want to be right, or like more than I want to look good. 
because to me, that's not necessarily the point of it. And we're so used to, as my friend Michael pointed out recently, really eloquently, it's like we're so used to giving our power away. Our bodies have been so colonized. Our um, intelligences have been so colonized. We're so taught to not trust ourselves that often one of the greatest things that I think I can facilitate for people and anyone who's coming with that compassionate gaze is to just reaffirm back to them, like, yeah, I can see that that's hard, you know, as opposed to being like, that's not hard. I'm making this up. I'm like, well, I see the chart and that does look like that's a really hard thing for you. See how this connects and really affirming back to people that they know who they are and that they can trust themselves and they can trust their story. Like if there could be a healing or a language for that, I think that's, to me, that is the most compassionate thing we could do, as opposed to just making myself look good for reading the right thing at the right time. It also sounds like a part of that too is is the non-judgment of where that person is at. Because like you said, rather than saying like, oh, it seems like you just found yourself in a, another horrible relationship, like it's like we're all on our own path and no one path is more valid than anyone else's. And the biggest thing that I feel like I've grown into is as I do my inner work more deeply is then cultivating a non-judgment approach to anyone else's work. You know, even people that I, from my perspective, feel really stuck, for example. But it's like, I was once stuck too. (laughs) And that was where I was at. And I still have areas where I'm stuck and it's ever unfolding. And so it sounds like another part is just allowing people to be where they are and showing them like the grace to find their way out if that's what they choose. Yeah. And I think we have like something I've really been working with and something that astrology has really taught me, um, especially as I, I teach things, teach concepts more is that, you know, the chart is presented, the concepts are presented within the form of a circle, right? They're presented within the context of a what is presenting itself as a holistic system, right? It's not that one planet is necessarily better than the other. It's that we need all of them to present to us the concept of the energies of the whole, right? Like we, yeah, we love the Jupiterian, like expansive, generous, benefic boost, but if nothing ever died, there would be no life. So we have to have the opposite of all the balancing of all of these things for there to be a whole. And we're all doing that for each other too. That doesn't mean I like everybody, but it means everyone has a role and everyone's here. And we're all sitting on this big circle together. So the chart, like as you look in, they're all different and they're all specific and they're all beautiful or they're all, you know, they all have a unique story and you really can appreciate just like how unique every person is. And you can see like, you know, this person may not quote, get over this thing in this life. That may not be what they're here to do. You know, like you can't necessarily, and I know Vedic astrology deals with a lot of this too, but like you can't, um, everyone's karma is different. Like everyone is here working out something unique and that's not my business to judge. Like who am I to say you shouldn't be working on that or struggling with that in this lifetime. That's just like none of my business really. So (laughs) I love that. I really love that. And I think it, 
you know, I know people sometimes get get nervous about astrology or about readings. And again, I think it's also so important to be careful who you choose because as a reader, it's a huge responsibility, like we had talked about a few minutes ago, around removing yourself from the equation, creating a safe, non-judgmental space, allowing it to be whatever it needs to be, you know, all of those things. But really, I just appreciate the work that you've done to get to this place where you can hold space in that way, because I think that really is where astrology or anything that sort of creates a framework for us to understand ourselves, that's where it can be so powerful. I think anything, if we approach it with the right spirit, anything can be a container for our transformation and healing, anything. And that is my orientation towards most things that I'm like, this might be hard, but it could be a container. So um, yeah, I think that's totally spot on what you're saying. And yeah, it can be scary. And I think I would always like encourage people to to show up with their power when they go to things, um, when they show up to things that they feel are different or um, they're curious about, like get to know who you're looking at, like listen to them on a podcast, look at their website. Do they use words that you like? Do they use words that make sense to you? Um, Talk to other people that people have gotten consults from, like take responsibility for your experience. Like so many people just show up and they're like, I'm open to whatever. And I'm like, that's cool. But if you're not actually, then like, what is it that you want out of this? Like take responsibility for what you want and what you want to get out of it. And help them help you. I'd love to hear more about your own journey of self-discovery, of transformation, and how you came to astrology and how, whether it's astrology or what you consider your work, how did this begin to unfold for you? Yeah. So I had grown up wanting to be a dancer more than anything else. <laughs> That's all that I cared about was being a professional dancer. And as I, I ended up going to college, there were injuries and I still danced and I was still trying to get a job after college before I realized that I was definitely past the age cutoff for the things that I wanted to do. And like my body wasn't right for the things that I wanted to do. And there was kind of nothing I could do about any of those things. <laughs> like I can't grow younger and change the shape of my leg. So so that was like a really big death moment for me that are things that I continued. I run into these big cathartic moments in my life repeatedly. <laughs> and that is something that I've noticed. It's something you can see in my chart. And when I first understood that astrologically, I felt very seen. I was like, oh, yes, this does keep this is a theme for me. And so my approach to work became I just have to make money because I ended up trying to make my own work and being becoming more of an independent artist. So I was like, what can I do that's flexible, that I can move my schedule around, that I can have a level of independence, still make art. And so I went into teaching Pilates and yoga because I knew a lot of dancers who had done that um, and they were able to pay their bills. So I taught Pilates for like 10 years and I taught yoga for, I don't remember what year I started teaching yoga, less than that, but somewhere in that decade. And I, that ended up progressing and I ended up opening a studio because for me, it was like, okay, I'm hitting this glass ceiling. Like I'm never going to be able to make more than X amount of dollars. And I think I need to, if inflation is going to continue to be a thing. And so I was like, I'm good at this. I can scale this. And so I built a studio and 
long story short, I remember sitting in this moment and I was sitting in Shavasana in someone else's class, exhausted after two years of trying to make it work and working my ass off and raising money, investing money, building a space, uh, meeting a spouse, breaking up with someone. Like it was a big life chapter. And I just remember laying down and I just like the universe was literally breaking in for the first time in quite a while. It was like, this is not going to work. And it wasn't going to work because it wasn't in my heart for it to be so. Like this was not my life's calling to run a yoga studio. And I could keep trying to fudge it and force it. Or I could just simply acknowledge that I was, all of these things are pointing to like, I need to get out of this. That was such a a crash and burn moment for me. I hit such a public failure. I let so many people down. I hurt so many relationships. Um, I ended up in bankruptcy court, which is like, as I as someone who was like trying to make art and trying not to end up in bankruptcy court your whole life to finally end up there, you're like, well, this is definitely the bottom, right? Like this is definitely the place that I've been avoiding like my whole adult life. And now I'm here. And so they're in all of that. And I just say that not to be dramatic, but just to be like, there was an immense call to come back to the things that are more essential to me. It was very clear that things that were not of my purpose were not going to work. Mm -hmm. Like I think that, and the way that I understand that is that some of us come in with these contracts. Like we make deals with ourselves, we make deals with God before whatever, whoever it is, before we come into these bodies and we're like, I am going to accomplish what my heart is here to do. And I don't know that everybody does that. I think some people are like, I want to make white sneakers because it's profitable and like it works for them, but like that's not going to work for me. And that was a moment, a really unpleasant learning experience of realizing like, oh, it's not, that's not, approach is not going to work for me. It's going to have to line up. And again, I don't judge people who that's not their story. I'm certainly not judging myself for it. But for me, it became very clear that that work needs to align or it isn't going to work. The business crumbled from the outside, but also something inside of me was like being a part of that hubris. Like something about my energy was also destroying it for the sake of its survival. It's like my heart was like, we're dying here. So either this has got to die or we're going to die. So, and that sounds dramatic, but it was dramatic. And so to the process of picking through the rubble was a, a part of the process of being like, I've been studying astrology in the closet for like a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> I've like acquired energetic practices. I've always been a very intuitive person. And though I've been teaching Pilates for a long time, I always get the people that are like, I haven't moved my body in five years because I've had cancer and I thought I was going to die. And I'm like, cool, let's figure out where our arms are. You know, so I'm always getting these people that are actually going through a different process. And then um, the mode has just changed. I'm not putting them on a reformer anymore. I'm more sitting with their chart or I'm sitting with their, or I'm doing like energy work or whatever. But the, what is actually happening is the same, but the modes are different. It's interesting because I have had a very similar experience where I do believe, like you said, there are certain people where it doesn't make like you or me more noble than anyone else, but it actually is like the universe will not allow certain individuals to do something that is not fully in service of them. And I feel that very same way. Like I have had things just like, crumple or I've my health has just like been destroyed to the point of like I have you know it's like we always um I talk about this with my partner a lot like no one 
actively chooses to transform and to turn towards the discomfort. You know, like you don't wake up. I mean, you do in a sense of you're like, okay, I'm going in. But most of the time it's because it's been chosen for you and you just kind of say, all right, I surrender. I'll do it. (laughs) I give up. Like I'm here. And so I do think that that can happen where it's like you're not really allowed to not go deep or kind of coast through your own evolution. And so it sounds very much that way for you. And it can feel kind of harsh, but I have felt the same way. It's not the path for the glamour, right? It's not the path of you want to look good all the time, you know, uh, where you like care about your reputation more than anything. Uh, that's definitely not the the right contract to come in with. <laughs> yeah, I relate a lot to that where literally your body starts like shutting down, like you've got to go. Mm-hmm. So it's intense. It's just a level of it's just a level of accountability, I think, or a spiritual accountability and um, with self and with soul and with purpose. And that's one reason why I like, I talk so much about alignment and I talk so much about purpose. And I think sometimes those things aren't always laid out easily for us. The tools that we can divine that for ourselves or interact with it with ourselves. And I think it is a collaborative process. I think it's an artistic process. I think that's something that we make with ourselves. I think it's something we make with reality. And you know, we're not taught that in school, right? We just like get good grades, be perfect, get as many straight A's as possible. You'll land a job. Cool. And like, and I was like, none of, none of that worked out for me at all. And even people who have that, I think there's a lot of people who have to go through that process sometimes. Like there's so many paths to the same place, I think. And some people have to do the thing who have made all of the commercial success that, you know, from, a superficial lens or from the outside, it looks like their life is great. They have all the money they need. They've achieved everything they're meant to achieve. And they get all of that. And then they look around and they're like, oh no, I thought this was going to be something it's not. That's when they drop in and then that's when they go on their their path. It's It's sort of interesting how sometimes you have to go through that process on your way to some type of whatever success means for you. And then other times you have to get it and then kind of (laughs) realize, oh, wait, it's not the thing. Now I have to go and do the inner work to like understand why it's not. Yeah. And those, they're all powerful moments. They're all sacred moments, whatever, however life brings us to those places. I think they're all really, really sacred um, in their, their difficulty and their potential. However we get there, um, It's hard to be grateful for them, but in the hindsight, I'm always grateful for them. It's in some movie, actually. I feel like the heart wants what the heart wants. I heard that. (laughs) That's true. The heart is hungry, and if you're not feeding it, it's going to start eating you. Yeah, we can be grateful for those moments that bring us back to the like, oh, yeah, we have a heart, and like, where is it supposed to go, and what is it that it wants to do here? I want to sort of step out one, I feel like maybe a circle bigger from the individual to the community and to the collective. Something that I see in your work is this connection between like the individual growth and transformation into like the transformation of the whole, like for our community, for the planet, you know, it's sort of like you look inward to, to then turn outward sort of thing. 
something that you wrote on your website, you talked about building regenerative and liberated lives, communities, economies, and worlds. And that to me is a representation of like all of the different areas that then it kind of ripples out into. What does it mean to build regenerative and liberated lives, communities, economies, and worlds? Part of that is uh, big Pisces problems (laughs) is that I just like don't quite know how to look at one thing. (laughs) So that's part of that problem. Like, what is one small thing? I don't know. I can only see how it's connected to everything. So that has its own problems and gifts. But I don't know that I quite know what that specifically looks like. I only know that it's possible with a massive remembrance and reconnection to selves and other. Um, And other doesn't just mean other humans. Other means reconnecting to what we consider source or the quantum or what is outside of our seen reality and also connecting to exactly what we can see and re um, re understanding or standing under the sentience and the wisdom and the dream that we are of it. I don't know. I'm such an artist in the way that I'm like, I don't always, I don't really know if that's a, if it's possible. I don't know what it looks like. I'm not an architect. I'm more of an artist. And I think it's something that we can create in the way that I understand the creation process is that the idea, the call comes, the idea comes to you, and then you start working with it and it tells you what it wants to be. You know, when you get to the end of the dance, because it tells you, you're like, oh, that's the end. And you didn't realize that you made the end. And so I think it is, if we don't understand or learn to work with regenerative processes within ourselves and within the systems that we already exist in, then we're definitely not going to be rebuilt a regenerative world. If we don't have an understanding of liberation within ourselves, then that's not something that we can enact or embody for or with other people. And I don't think that necessarily means I have to like fix myself before I fix other people. Like the whole like individual is like the, I put the gas, the mask on myself and then everyone else. Um, And I think for some that might be true, but I think, you know, sometimes we're not quite sure what it is to embody liberation or regeneration and something that I've been teaching and working on lately is that like sometimes when we're just being of service to those ideas, they teach us how it is that we are to embody them. It's not like I get all my shit together and I know exactly how I embody all these things. And once I have that, my ripple effect takes effect everywhere else. Right. It's like, well, why don't you just go jump in the ripple, let it teach you what it is, you know, and then you're impacting others as you embody it yourself. Mm -hmm. So I do always, again, I do, I am always seeing it going in and coming. It is like the ocean, like the ocean isn't going anywhere, right? Like the ocean is what it is. It's just the tides going in and the tides going out. And we can just be a part of that exchange. I think however we want, some people really have some, the personal way that they have to connect to it and understand it first. And other people, if we don't know where to start, then we just start being of service to it and we see where it takes us and we simply say yes to it and let it take us on the ride, you know, and create with what those ideas and stories are for us.
I was leading a workshop the other day about intention setting. One of the things that was so fun, you know, I was sort of doing my own discoveries around intentions and their purpose and things like that. And one of the things that I read that I just loved was intentions allow the universe to surprise and delight us. It's like not prescriptive. It's like you, it's directional. You know, you put the intention there. Like I want to create a regenerative economy and future for everyone, including myself. And then, like you said, it becomes this sort of, it becomes a regenerative process in itself where it just kind of comes back around and then you give more input and then it allows for that surprise and delight and adventure. And I think that's what life is really. I mean, I always, it's like, if we knew everything, then why would we, you know, what's the point? Why would we be here? So I really, I really love what you said. To that end, do you, I know you, you had a course called Interstellar Purpose, where you guided people to find their purpose. Tell me more about your thoughts about people finding their calling or purpose. I think the first question is, do you believe everyone has a singular calling or purpose? Or is it something that, you know, can go many different ways? Does it show up in the charts in any way that is like, this is this person's purpose? And um, yeah, tell me more about that. Some of my core beliefs and how I teach purpose and how I understand purpose in my own life um, and see it in other people's lives is that purpose is not fixed. Purpose is something that is dynamic. It has movement because we have movement and um, purpose is also multidimensional. So those are the things that I say a lot. Um, It's that we have our specific, unique, as I was telling you earlier, like our special snowflake purpose, you know, which is what the chart can tell us, right? We can look at the chart and be like, okay, this life wants to do this. That is the gift of the chart. It can tell us that. And some of the mechanisms and the topics and the people and how some of that's going to play out. We can, that is the gift of astrology, I think, Um, or a gift uh, of many. And that being said, the way I teach it is that there's concentric circles. It's like the chart, the special snowflake part of us exists within the center of many wider and wider circles. It's like, well, we're also here to me. I think we're also here to be in service to life. We're also here to embody neutral, loving compassion. We're also here to do these other things. And you can do that at any point in your life, at any stage of your life. Our responsibilities, the way that we particularly embody our purpose is going to change as we age, as our responsibilities change, as we, um, if like, if you have kids, for instance, if you have three kids, your purpose is going to be like playing out a lot differently than someone who doesn't. And I also really like to help people like disentangle this idea of your purpose being your job. We have to do all sorts of things to make money, to pay rent and pay food to put food on the table, et cetera, just because someone has to, is like at a point in their life where they're like, I've got to deliver pizzas to put food on the table. That doesn't mean that your life is to deliver. Your purpose is not to deliver pizzas, right? Like it's not, we have this really oversimplified way. We put so much pressure on our job. We put so much pressure on how we make money. And we're like, if I'm not doing the job that I'm like here to have, and I can't live out my purpose. And like, I mean, and you see it in the chart, you're like, 
this chart doesn't really like that's just not really a central component for you like do what you got to do to make money but your life's really interested in like how you're working out your relationship with your siblings and your like spiritual practice so like you know do what you want to do to make some money so not every life is so oriented around that but we have this hyper individual like capitalist way this philosophy that we've imbibed that like our worth our identity is so wrapped up in how we make money that we can't understand purpose any other way to the point that we're like ashamed if we have to do something that's not we don't identify as our purpose especially in spiritual circles we're like oh have you quit your job yet to like do your thing and it's like well maybe that's not your thing like who cares right like what about just answering the call of your life what about just saying yes to like what your heart feels like it wants to embody and like sometimes you just work because you got to make money and that's okay i'd love that and it also allows space for the gray i think there's so much like black and white and i notice when i'm like feeling very caught or very stressed that's when i think about things with such extremes of like it either has to be you quit your job to fulfill your purpose or you stay in a job you hate and your soul dies or something. <laughs> you know, it just feels so just feels so dramatic. Like I think we see these things or we hear stories of people who did very like extreme things and it worked out for them. So we think, oh, we need to do an extreme thing. And it's interesting. I wonder if this shows up in the chart. One of the patterns that happens in my life is I really do tend to do extreme things, not consciously, but I'm like given these kind of like extreme scenarios. And I've learned, it's not something I choose because it's kind of stressful, but I've learned that actually that's just a pattern of mine that actually is what helps me. But I also am very clear to communicate that it doesn't need to be that way. Like, you know, your own situation and you can trust that like everyone's, you know, path again, looks very different. So I like that you communicate that around purpose because I also think it's another way that we can actually get really caught. I was telling my husband this morning or I was like, you know, if we wanted to do something else, we could have incarnated somewhere else and done something like, you know, but we wanted to be in a human body doing these things and we're God. So that must be super cool. Like that we chose to and I think you brought up a lot of really great things. You know, we do get told these stories, you know, even dancing or we want to do something like be a professional basketball player. Or I wanted to be a dancer or like I want to be president, whatever the thing is, you know, and all the movies are made about that one person that gets it right. It's not about the like 50 billion people who like that's not going to be their story. Right. So we're taught to like over romanticize and dramatize and put only value on the like success story or like the entrepreneur who totally mm -hmm. just like quit everything and like work. Now he's Jeff Bezos. Like, you know, and it's just like, you know, that's one person, you know, and we're not all. And again, I just recorded a podcast about this, but like, we're not all exceptional. And like, we feel like we have to be exceptional to matter. And it's like, well, what if I'm not? That doesn't mean you can't dance. That doesn't mean you can't play basketball. It doesn't mean your story doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you weren't good enough. It just means like there's a system and like you probably didn't know the right person at the right time. And the other thing is, you know, like, yeah, I keep bringing, we, so we're reinforced culturally, these cliffhanger moments because they're exciting, they're dramatic, and it's what the movies get made out of. And everyone's like, if you just work hard enough, you'll get your dream, you know, and that's not always true. So people project that onto you. And, you know, a lot of times too, we live in a culture where we're addicted to intensity, right? Like we, um, when things are intense, we're like, oh, now I got to do something about it. And so 
either consciously or subconsciously, we put ourselves in these high intense situations because that's just the volume our nervous system is used to. And the other thing that can be helpful about astrology so many times is that you can clearly see what the habits or the problems or this could be the unconscious dynamic. And while I don't know that we can, I think we have the chart and it is our chart and it changes over time. And we can look at it and be like, okay, I can see that maybe there's a tendency to like always take it to the brink. And like, sometimes that might not be avoidable, but sometimes once we know that, what do, what could I do to remediate that? What could I do to like regulate myself better? What could I do to um, recognize that as a pattern or work with it in a more healing or therapeutic sense? I asked you at the beginning, before we hit record, if there was something that you wanted to share a message that you wanted to communicate. And you talked about how as humans and we're in these human bodies, how working with the earth is our fulfillment. Like we're here for the earth and because of the earth. Say more about that. That's true. Like, I mean, the a poetic way that I heard um, that, Langston Kahn said recently was that like we, the earth dreamed us here. Um, and the scientific way of looking at that is that we are a product of evolution, right? Like we are, we are, it's not like humans existed and then we like painted the world into being, it's the opposite. So I think remembering and literally re-embodying that humility and that reverence for that, which gave us life and continues to give us life is something that is um, a lesson of our time. And it certainly is a lesson of, mine for sure. I'd like cry just talking about it. Like every time I talk about it, I start crying. Um, and especially, you know, at this moment when we are in the middle of like a six, a, a massive extinction event, it's like, you know, it's not that like the planet has gone through the cycles like this many, many times, like the planet will in its inevitable regenerative impulse for life, recover and be fine. It's just a matter of like, if humanity wants to get on board with what that template for life looks like, I think. And it would be a great honor to be a part of becoming a part of that template or remembering what a culture looks like that could do that. And we all have been, humans have always depended on the earth and survival. And we just forgot that now because we have phones and grocery stores. And, but we've all been indigenous. We all come from a line of people that have been indigenous. We've all belonged to the land. And as a teacher of mine says, the land knows who you are. The world doesn't know who you are. The phone doesn't know who you are. The land is who knows who you are. It could tell you who you are. And that's true on a cellular level. If you just like look at the microbiome, it just makes a lot of sense that like that would be a spiritual truth. So of course we feel lost without it. You know, who eats, who literally like destroys the one thing that can keep them alive, right? There's a massive um, forgetfulness is a word that you used earlier um, when that is the case. And so a, a sense of my personal sort of spiritual remembrance and how I understand a, a, an aspect of my purpose in this life is to just be a part of like that remembering and like putting that back together in that invitation. I think of Robin Wall Kimmer tells the story really beautifully, but it's, I think it's Ojibwe Anishinaabe story of the seventh fires prophecy. And I like cry every time I hear her talk about it, but there's this, like, there's the new people, like there's people that come and like, they're literally their one role is to be like, we should go this way. And I'm not like inserting myself into that story and be like, that's me. But like, we can all have, 
ways that we identify with like this moment in time and what we came here to do. And I think that we minimize that so often we make it about like, Oh, I got to like check the things off of my list and make it this like small thing that I can accomplish every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. But I think there's something really beautiful about returning to the meta of that and returning to the myth of what it is to be human, the tree of life of what it is to be human. And, um, Finding it, not a sense of urgency, but a sense of um, belonging, I think, to that bigger story can be really Do you powerful. think we can get there? I really would love to think so. I think we can. It's a matter of if we will. I don't think that there is a question of power, of, well, there's power, but a question of capacity. We have the, we're, we're not up against a technological challenge. We are up against uh, corporate globalization and money and big power and convenience. And so it's not that we don't know how, it's not that we don't have the tools or the resources, it's simply a matter of willingness. And that is something that I don't know, but it's something that I would like to hope. So it reminds me of what you said earlier about intention, like not knowing how it's going to unfold, but having the intention is what starts that process. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's an invitation to saying yes to it, I think, because it feels good to say yes to it. Well, I think you are a huge part of this remembering in the work that you do. So that's really powerful to me, and I really appreciate it because it's a brave path. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your words and your perspective. It was just really wonderful The last part of each episode that I do is a rapid fire round. Are you ready for the last five questions? Sure. (laughs) What is your favorite place in nature? The ocean. It doesn't really matter which one, but preferably the Atlantic. What is the animal, mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? The tree and the whale. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony to our lives? Steward anything, garden anything, even if you plant a carrot in your apartment, like, yeah, (laughs) plant and steward anything. Yeah. What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? There's so many. I think of, I was, I recently went to North Carolina. This is not a quick answer. It kind of is. And I was just like, I found I like got off the trail and I was sitting at like the top of this waterfall near this like other little rock. And it was just like this moment where I really just saw all the plants just shooting out of the rock. I'm like, plants shoot out of rocks, guys. (laughs) This moment where you're like, the impulse for life is so strong that life will make a way. Like life makes a way. Like there is no, yeah, I think it is that, um, that capital L life is just so strong. And like, I think that is really, regeneration that like how fast it can heal how much life wants itself that it could just like i just decided i'm going to grow out of this rock now like it's crazy (laughs) so complete this sentence nature brings me peace belonging ah thank you thank you mg thank you thank you for having me on it's such a pleasure i love i love being in conversation with you If you're hearing my voice, congratulations, you made it to the end of my conversation with Mary Grace Allardyce. I hope it illuminated something important for you. I know it did for me and 
so many different facets from purpose to thinking about my place in the world to thinking about how to build regenerative systems and liberated lives. And I was just so filled up by this conversation and I hope you were too. Okay, that's it from me and stay tuned in two weeks when I'm back on the podcast. And if you connect with me in my newsletter, I will again be sharing something really exciting next week. So see you on the internet or on the trail. So long. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.